Okay, so on one occasion, God handed the Israelites over to the Midianites for seven <coughs> years. After which the Israelites cried to the Lord for deliverance again. And we see that account in Judges chapter 6. Um, we'll probably look at that verse sometime during the course. But for now, let's look at uh, the first question we have. And that is, where do you go when you need some peace and quiet? In the bathroom. In the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> is everybody in the bathroom? Just 30 seconds. Okay, so where do, I, where do we go besides the bathroom? To the beach. The beach, okay. Prayer room. Prayer room. Or in the bedroom. Or in the bedroom. Yeah. Anywhere that's quiet, where you can find yes. peace quiet, right? Yes. Okay. Let's then look at uh, Bible Meets Life. Uh, it's page 38. I grew up in a time when peace was a popular slogan, but it was also an excuse for a way of life that was often anything but peaceful. It's hard to imagine anyone who wouldn't want peace. But the daily news feeds but the daily news feeds makes us painfully aware that peace is severely lacking. Wars and skirmishes around the world, riots on college campuses, and political unrest in our communities. We long for authentic peace. Peace is not simply something needed out there. We need peace in our churches, our homes, and our own hearts. <clears throat> Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could live in an absence of conflict in our, in our lives, a time with no squabbling or obstacles? Even when we experience moments of peace and quiet, they are often short-lived. Peace is possible, and it is a peace that is far more than just an absence of conflict. The Old Testament judge Gideon lived in a time of conflict, but he discovered a peace in the midst of his circumstances. He discovered he could trust God to give peace because he is our peace. Okay, and what is our point, point for the day? God's peace helps us rise above our circumstances. Now, is that a reality for all of us in our lives on a day-to-day -day basis? No. no. It isn't, is it? No, but it should be. It should be. All right, why isn't it not? Why is it not? Because we think we can do it. Because we feel self-sufficient, right? We don't trust him enough. We can say, oh Lord, I can handle this. I got this. Okay, so it's important that we remember and ever be conscious that God's peace helps us, helps us to rise above our circumstances. We can't do it on our own, by ourselves. Unfortunately, uh, so many times we attempt to do so. Okay, let's look at the first uh, passage of Scripture we have, uh, Judges 6, 11 to 13. Someone read that, please. The angel of the Lord came, and he sat under the oak at Ophrah, which belonged to the jo Joash, the Right. <laughs> uh, his son Gideon was thrashing wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midites. Midianites. 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 Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, valiant warrior. 
Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? They said, Hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and, and handed us over to the Midians. Midians. It's one thing to be in the same room with people, but it's quite another for the people in that room to enjoy peace and unity. That was the case with the tribes of Israel. In the book of Judges, the Israelites had entered the promised land, and the land had been divided among the tribes of Israel. But even though Israel occupied the land, no longer were the people united in heart and mind. They had lost the sense of being a unique people. They had compromised God's standards. The closing verse of the book of, Ju of, of Judges will summarize this period. Everyone did whatever they whatever seemed right to them, 21 to 20, 21, 25. The book of Judges is marked with a cynical pattern, sin and rebellion, followed by punishment, then followed by a season of repentance and deliverance. The, the deliverer was usually an anointed judge, a leader provided by the sovereign hand of God. The judge would bring deliverance and spiritual renewal, would come to the people for a season. Then the cycle of sin and punishment would be repeated. Ultimately, Israel lost the fruit of their land and labor. Here, the Israelites were again in the sinful phase of this cycle. So God disciplined them by allowing the Midianites, Midianites to oppress them. The Israelites called out to God in their despair, and the Lord sent a prophet. God, in his mercy, was prepared to, deliver, to send a deliverer. Without fanfare, we are told that the angel of the Lord sat under an oak tree as Gideon was eating out wheat in his wine breath. This surely was an odd place to thresh wheat, but Gideon was hoping to find from the Midites, um, hide, sorry, from the Midianites. It seemed even stranger. It seemed, it seems even stranger than the angel called Gideon a valiant warrior. After all, he was at that moment in a wine vat hiding from the enemy. Mm. Gideon was focused on the difficult circumstances. He called into question the presence and power of God and asked why so many bad things were happening to Israel. His thinking was simple. If God was with them, then the Midianites, Midianites would not be pillaging their fields. The people of Israel would not be living like animals. He was correct in thinking God's people should not be living in defeat. But he was wrong to conclude their situation was due to the Lord's weakness. Gideon's second question was similar to the first. And where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? The Israelites frequently rehearsed the story of God's redemption and provision. They knew God had delivered Israel from bondage and miraculously saved them at the Red Sea and throughout the wilderness experience. <coughs> like Gideon, when we focus on our circumstances, we can't properly see God's hand at work. 
the result is a lack of peace and contentment. Okay. Interesting. Yes. Uh, notice what the first uh, paragraph, go back to the first paragraph. Notice it says, it's one thing to be in the same room with people, but it's quite another for the people in that room to enjoy peace and unity. That was the case with the tribes of Israel. In the book of Judges, the Israelites had entered the promised land, and the land had divided, had been divided among the tribes of Israel. But even though Israel occupied the land, no longer were the people united in heart and mind. They lost something, right? Mm -hmm. They had lost the sense of being a unique people. They had compromised God's standards. And it always happens, doesn't it? Yes. The closing verse of the book of Judges well summarizes that people, period. People did what was right in their own eyes. Isn't that what's happening today? Yes. People are doing what is right in their own eyes. They don't care about anyone else or anything else. A couple of points uh, uh, we need to look at with regards to these, uh, these verses. The Midianites were oppressing Israel because of the Israelites' disobedience to God. Yeah. Verse 11. Um, we, see, uh, we see an account of that in, in Judges uh, chapter 6. Uh, one, two, let's, let's read that verse. Uh, go to, look at, um, turn to Judges chapter 6. Uh, let's read the first 10 verses there for some background. Okay, anybody have it? You can read it. Judges chapter 6, 1 to 10. Okay, I'll read. Chapter 6. I'll get it. I got it. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. So you see, they, they must have been very, very fearful of what these people were capable of doing to them, right? Verse 3. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel. Verse 4, camping in the land and destroying the crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, donkeys, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming from their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived in droves of camels, too numerous to count. And they stayed until the land was stripped bare. In other words, they did practically what locusts do. Strip the land bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. The Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I, will, I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land 
you now live. But you have not listened to me. They were stubborn, what the Bible calls them, stiff-necked. Stubborn, stiff-necked, hard-headed, like we say, hard-headed people. All right, true peace saluted them because they were disobedient. Whenever we don't be uh, disobedient to God, you will never find peace. That's right. Never. And we see it here played out in the life of the of the of the of the people of God. True peace will always be elusive. And they looked uh, only for circulated. True peace eluded them as long as they looked only at their circumstances. In other words, they look at how they could deliver themselves and how they could help themselves. Left God out of the equation, and so they couldn't have peace. Eventually, the Israelites cried out to God, and a messenger identified as the angel of the Lord came to talk to the man named Gideon. Who is the angel of the Lord? We've seen that phrase many times in Scripture. What do you think that that uh, person is? Gabriel. Gabriel. Could be Gabriel. Okay, the angel of the Lord is it's often uh, uh, sometimes a pre-incarnate Christ uh, in some cases. That's why he's referred to as the angel of the Lord, or it could be just an angel. Uh, but in many cases, it's the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, uh, who shows up. And so God came to their rescue. Uh, the angel of the Lord's greeting, verse 12. Notice what the angel said. The Lord is with you. O mighty man of valor. Okay, and when when this angel came, then where was he? Hiding. He was hiding. Was he displaying valor? No. No. He was hiding. Okay. It was a simple greeting. It was a simple greeting of a tra- from a traveler. Uh, and the words could also have been the acknowledgement, uh, one of acknowledgement and respect for who he was in terms of the person, other than that particular isolated incident that he was going through. Uh, the words mighty man of valor could have referred to a person's social status uh, that they had at that particular time in their lives. Apparently Gideon and his family were prominent members of the region. Gideon's father Joash had constructed a sizable altar to the false Canaanite deity Baal. Uh, we see that in, in uh, verses 25 and 26. And Gideon had at least 10 servants. On the other hand, the greeting spoke of a divine perspective, uh, how God viewed this particular individual, not his past. And then verse 13, Gideon's response indicates that he understood the word as a normal greeting, and so he responded with the question, Please, Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Okay, if that is the case, what, what's going on with us? What have we done? Gideon wanted to know why his generation was not seeing the same, same kind of wonderful deeds as when God delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. Okay, he was able to compare the two. Lord, look at what, what you did then with the Israelites. Look at what's happened to us now. <laughs> what's wrong? Something's missing. What's going on? Instead of feeling that God was with them, they felt that God had forsaken them to the oppression of the Midianites. God had already given the answer to to Gideon's question through the prophet he sent to the Israelites in response to their plea for help in verses 7 to 10. Though God had given his people clear directions on how to worship and serve him, they refused 
to trust God and they refused to obey God. That was why they were suffering. So now we know why people suffer. Okay, at least we know one reason why they suffer. God's people suffer. Disobedience. Okay, suffer because of disobedience and we suffer because of lack of trust. So that is why they were, there was no peace uh, in their land. They were not experiencing peace because the God of peace uh, was not being respected as he should have been respected and trusted as he, as he should have been trusted. Question number two. Where do you see people questioning God's goodness and presence today? Where do we see God, we people questioning Goodness. God's goodness and presence in our day and time. Hospitals, yeah. Hospitals, how? Mm-hmm. When um, someone dies, the questioning whether whether God is there to help the people and getting everything done that they need done, and whether doctors are doing what they should be doing, or whether the nurses have compassion or mm. whatever. Okay. Whatever the hospitals. Okay, so hospital is one place. Where else do we see people questioning God's goodness and presence? The number houses. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we need to trust providers ourselves, I guess. The number houses, okay? <laughs> they don't trust God in question. <laughs> what do you call it? Spinning? Yeah. Spinning wheel. The fortune. Okay. All right, the number houses. <laughs> Where else do we see him? Uh, when someone gets killed in an accident or gets shot, more especially every young person, mother comes out, oh Lord, why did this happen? Mm, okay. Okay, when catastrophe strikes. I saw someone on um, um, Facebook last night of a 26 year old died in an accident in one of the islands, um, and she died on her birthday. Wow. wow. Hmm? Okay. Oh, okay. God's people being persecuted. Okay. So we see a lot of that in our day and time, right? Yes. Uh, people questioning God's goodness and presence. They don't want to have anything to do with God, but when a crisis comes, they are crying, Oh Lord, where are you? All right. They didn't know where he was. Uh, they wasn't concerned about where he was before until a crisis strikes. So peace eluded Gideon when he looked at his circumstances. In the next verse, we will see that peace eludes him when he looked at his shortcomings as well. So let's look at that other verse we have. Judges chapter 6 verses 14 to 16. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. I am sending you. He said to him, Please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh, Manasseh, Mm -hmm. and I am the youngest in my family's, in my father's family. But I will be with you, the Lord said to him. You will strike Midian down as if it were one man. Continue reading. Continue on. The Lord didn't directly answer Gideon's question or respond to his accusation that he had abandoned them. Instead, he gave Gideon a commission to go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. I am sending you. 
But instead of responding in humble gratitude for the privilege God had given him, Yadin attempted a second strategic and run. Hmm. This time he questioned his own ability. These responses sound much more pious and humble. Please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's family. While his protest may sound humble, it was simply an excuse and an affront to God. Gideon focused on his perceived shortcomings, but God had created Gideon and had specifically chosen him for this task. God's response to Gideon was firm but reassuring. But I will be with you. When God calls us to a task, he assures us of his presence and his power to enable us to accomplish our assigned mission. God accompanies us as we follow him. This has been God's pattern and plan throughout time. The Great Commission is accompanied by the promise, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 20. Gideon asked for a sign. He brought an offering and the angel touched it with the staff in his hand. As a result, fire sprang forth from the rock, consuming the offering. See, okay, let's Judges look at those verses. 17 to 21. Uh, Judges 17 to 21. 17 to 21? Yeah. yeah. Okay. 17 to 21. And he said unto him, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then shew me a sign that thou talkest with me. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee, and bring forth my present, and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until thou come again. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid, and unleavened cakes of an ephah of flour. The flesh he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot and brought it out unto him under the oak, and presented it. Twenty-one. Mm-hmm. Um, an, angel, an angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the eleven cakes, and lay them upon this rock, and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand, and touched the flesh and the eleven cakes. And there rose a fire out of the rock, and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Okay, so we see that account of the, of the offering. Continue, Albert. No doubt, the consuming fire leaping from a rock was a great clue for Gideon that he had received a message from God. Okay, you couldn't mistake that message, eh? Nope. A couple of main points are from uh, the passages. First of all, the Lord didn't directly answer Gideon's question or respond to his accusation that he had abandoned them. Okay? There was no direct response from God with regards to that. Okay? Instead, he gave Gideon a commission. All right? He says, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. I am sending you. Do I not send you? Mm-hmm. Many times uh, God directs us to do something and we find all kinds of excuses, right? Oh, yeah. Even though God is saying specifically, I am the one that is sending you. Mm-hmm. All right? And so God didn't directly respond to his accusation, um, but God directed him. God gave him a commission. 
And sometimes God does that with us, and we're still waiting. Lord, you know, I made an accusation and you didn't respond to it, but now you tell me to do something else. Okay, there's a reason for God's silence and there's a reason for him not addressing it. Sometimes it would be more detrimental for God to address the accusation, especially if you're accusing the Almighty God. <laughs> Remember what happened to people who did that? <laughs> Pile of ashes on the ground. Okay, you don't want to go that route. All right, God could have responded, but the response would not have been pretty. And so God uh, did not respond to the accusation. And then the second point we notice is that this time he questioned his own ability. Okay. How often do we find that happening? Remember Moses? Yes. Didn't Moses do the same thing? Yes. Lord, I, I can't speak. I mean, I'm not a good speaker, you know, and that, that doesn't make God kind of upset, right? And then the third thing we notice is Gideon focused on his perceived shortcomings. But God had created Gideon and had specifically chosen him for this task. Right? And then the third, the final point is God's response to Gideon was firm, but it was reassuring. What was the reassurance? I will be with you. In other words, forget all those excuses about what you can't do and what you this and your abilities and inabilities. Forget about all that. Just remember this. I'm going to be with you. Right? Isn't that reassuring? Yes, it is. When we know that God is with us? Yes. Question number three. How do we recognize when God is calling us to a task? You have peace about it. Hmm? You have peace about okay. it. Okay. You're okay. You're, you're, you're free. All right. You have peace or reassurance yeah. about it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Sometimes you keep going back to the same thing because you don't want to deal with it. So if he's calling you to do something, maybe if you ignore him, then you'll have to go back there again and again and again and revisit yeah. that thing until you do the task he wants you to do. Okay. So you find yourself going... Get away. You find yourself going on in circles like the children of Israel in the wilderness. Yeah. Okay. All right. <coughs> Gideon had soon, uh, Gideon would soon learn an important truth. Peace is found when we look to God. Yep. That brings us to our la- uh, last passage, uh, verses 22 to 24. When Gideon realized that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Oh, no, Lord God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace to you. Don't be afraid, for you will not die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. It is still in Oprah of the Abizarites. Abizarites, yeah. Abizarites today. In the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord often referred to the presence of God himself. So when the angel of the Lord disappeared right after causing Gideon's offering to be miraculously consumed by fire, see verses 17 to 21. We looked at that already, so go on. Okay, Gideon realized that he had been in the presence of the Lord. His response was one of holy fear. In that moment, Gideon realized that he was in God's favor. Trouble was all around because of the Midianites. But God was with him, and that was all the assurance and peace he needed. In grateful response, Gideon built an altar and named it, 
the Lord is peace. Jehovah Shalom. The Hebrew word Shalom is usually translated in English as peace. Shalom is one of the most significant terms in the Old Testament. The fundamental idea conveyed by the word Shalom is wholeness in one's relationship with God. It defines a harmony in the relationship based on completing a transaction. In our relationship with God, it means a sense of contentment, freedom from guilt, and satisfaction with life itself. Of course, this does require that we must have a pure heart before God and live in obedience to His Word and His plan. We might wonder how we, with our human failings, can ever be at peace with a holy God. We can only answer that question by understanding the full significance of the name Jehovah Shalom. The prophet Isaiah wrote that a child would be born who would be called Prince of Peace. See Isaiah 9 and 6. Look at that verse. Isaiah. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace died to reconcile sinful individuals to our Holy God. Jesus is our peace. He tore down the wall that separated us from God and from others. See Ephesians 2 and 14. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Jesus is Jehovah Shalom. Okay, so we learn another new name of God today. Jehovah Shalom. When are to be we to remember that? In all situations. In all situations. When peace seems to be a problem, right? Yes. So uh, the uh, paragraph, in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord often referred to the presence of God himself. So when the angel of the Lord appeared, disappeared right after causing Gideon's offering to miraculously be consumed by fire, Gideon realized he had been in the presence of the Lord. And his response was one of holy fear. In that moment, Gideon realized he was in God's favor. Trouble was all around him because of the Midianites, but God was with him. And that was all the assurance and peace that he needed. In grateful response, Gideon built an altar and named it the Lord is Peace, Jehovah Shalom. Right. So we also are minded, uh, reminded of how Jesus Christ is often a true source of peace as well. And, uh, and so uh, Gideon is a reminder of that for us. Okay, let's look at that final question we have. Well, question number four. You have two questions, right? Yeah. Uh, question number four is, how has God used our group to help you find peace in life? Anybody has experienced peace in life as a result of our Sunday school class? Is what that question is about. Or another way, another question would be, an alternative question would be, uh, what are some ways God has helped you find peace in life? 
Miss you going again? I said, yeah, that's my joy. The <laughs> <laughs> current was off. Now, now that I'm talking, let me tell you how really the devil is. <laughs> when the light cut off this morning, I was in the peak of my devotions and I was washed away in tears. Mm. And I was just wanting to share. I was so excited again here this morning. Then I chance from the trolls being funny. I said, this, this song when I, I, you can see I get quiet all of a sudden. My trolls get, devil you say Because I, you know, I sit here this morning, I don't say now, you see I the devil's trolls. He wants to keep you quiet. Then you ask this one thing, they need to share. I, you know, I can open my mouth even if you don't mind sitting here. Mm. <laughs> I tell you this. Okay, let's look at how we can uh, flesh this out as we go forth on page 44. Uh, God's peace allows us to rise above our circumstances. And we've seen that in Gideon's circumstances. How will you display that truth this week? Choose one of the following suggestions. You get three here, only choose one. Receive Jesus as your Prince of Peace. If you've never experienced God's peace, Admit your sin, turn from it, and turn to Jesus by faith. Then you will live in peace with God. Okay, so if you haven't come to that point, you have an opportunity now. Secondly, enjoy true shalom in your relationship with God. If you have received Christ as Savior, but are not experiencing wholeness, you may be struck in a cycle, or may stuck in a cycle of sin. Ask God to show you any areas of spiritual neglect and disobedience. Yes. Confess them, turn from them, and turn back to God. Yes. And then thirdly, live at peace with others. Yes. Jesus is our as Jesus as our peace has broken down the dividing wall. Is there a broken relationship in your life that needs to be made whole? Go to that person in the power of Christ and seek forgiveness and reconciliation. Okay, so we got three things that we can do. Either one of them, one of those three, uh, may put you in a position to respond. And if so, we encourage you to do that. The word rightly lifts up peace as a virtue. But the peace that comes from Jehovah Shalom, God our peace, is a peace that truly surpasses all human understanding. But don't try to understand it, okay, because you won't. Okay, just accept it as an experience that only God can provide. Amen? Amen.